Bobcat. Nick hails with the Redskins Blaster, and Joshua Johnson, I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bolt, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Much, Josh. You know how uh, fantasy football has gotten a bad rap in some circles for being uh, detrimental to worker productivity. But you know what? For at least one week, there's a new profit enemy number one, and that's Pokemon Go. So now maybe the uh, fantasy football Whoa. is keeping quiet while we're you know we're stationary on our phones while the bosses chase around the Pokemon hunters that are moving around the workplace. Yeah, you know, it sucks for me though that I kind of play both. I guess there's no rest for the watchful eye of the man for this dork, right? <laughs> I have not given in to the Pokemon Go. I, yeah. Oh my gosh. Seriously, what is that thing? Um, people are being robbed. It caused like a twenty-six car pileup somewhere. Um, yeah. Fantasy football is way cooler. We're not. We're not nerdy. Oh, about that's that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we are. <laughs> but, you know, we are. And you know what else? I'm sick of every day. I turn on Facebook and. There's a picture of James Hetfield wearing a different NFL T-shirt. Have you seen these? What is that about? I mean, I thought the first one I saw was Cleveland, which I thought was funny because when I entitled sad but true. But now I saw like a, Ra- a Raiders one and a Vikings one. It's like they're trying to target like either the teams I like or the teams in my era. I'm sick of seeing James Hetfield's face every morning when I turn on Facebook. But anyway, we have a wonderful show to you for you today. Um, we have a former NFL player on, so how awesome is that? Uh, Ross Tucker is going to be joining us here in about an hour. Uh, talk a little bit about his playing career and kind of what he's got going on now. Obviously, he is a podcast maven. He's got, I think, four. There might be another one, but he has four podcasts, and he also has a morning show Thursdays on Sirius XM with, uh, excuse me, with Booger McFarland. So uh, he's a busy man, so we're very happy to get uh, 10, 15 minutes of his time. Uh, today, that's kind of why we started the podcast a little bit later than we normally do today. Um, great Dynasty Dilemmas, we pit Devin Funches versus Clive Walford. I always I always find it fun when we can actually do a Dynasty Dilemma when it's players from different positions. So this should be an interesting one. A little Dynasty Trade Reflection. Also uh, talk a little bit about uh, some LB designations there, namely Chandler Jones. Nick's going to rant. Um, about Michael Bennett giving something away for free. Dynasty trade analysis. Uh, some more pass catcher, plant your flag or wash your hands. Dot, 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 if you have the roster space. Uh, best number 42. There's some good ones there. Uh, do a little Scott Fishbowl update. Ross should be joining us there. And then we have it's both prediction time. So make sure you check that out later on at the end of the show. That's always fun. 
Uh, like I said, next week we're going to have Ricky Cobb from the Super 70 Sports Podcast. Uh, that should be really fun. We'll talk uh, even more older guys when he comes on about that. So uh, make sure you check that out. And like I said, very happy and honored to have Ross. Uh, Ross is on our podcast when we and Nick are back at Roto Rob. So we'll actually be talking to him again, but he's insanely busy. So I'm sure he probably doesn't remember that. But uh, what do you think? Is this Vaughn Miller? signing going to ever take place nick what do you, what do you think it's uh, aren't they approaching like a crossroad date here i would think so but you know from what it, the way it sounds from von miller's camp he sounds like he's really sticking to his guns he's very anti-franchise tag and wants to kind of change the system and uh you know from the way he's talking it sounds like he wants to you know kind of lead by example and you know if that's the case then he should stick to his guns and if they're not going to give him the money he wants then he should stick out first hold out yeah there's something's going to have happen to happen here in the next couple of weeks with that um coincidentally i wrote an afc west idp kind of price check report i'll talk a little bit about von miller and that i'll just leave it at that but uh that should be coming out here in the next couple of days on the site so look forward uh to that um, but the real big news here around DFW is Nick has finally joined the Cody Kessler fan club. Don't think I didn't notice that little $1 waiver claim there, Nick. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, you know, Josh has been wrong before and he even drafted Cody Kessler himself. So, uh, what I, are you just letting your roster swell? Is that, is that the explanation you got for me here? Um, well, I'm playing on taxi squatting him for, uh, for the first year. I had hardly any rookie draft picks in that league. So, you know, I figured what the heck he was a taxi spot, squad spot, especially when the only guy in front of him really is Robert Griffin, who has, you know, previously lost a starting job to a mid-round quarterback. So I figured it's worth a, worth a, worth a flyer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and who knows? Yeah. We've been wrong before. Um, what do you think about all this Zeke Elliott hype? It's kind of back in the news again because I think of the Scott Fishball starting. People are taking him super high. And I just feel like, oh, my gosh, there's going to be so much <laughs> – uh, I don't know the appropriate way to say this. There's going to be a lot of shrinkage, I think you know what I mean, going on in fantasy football. And if this guy doesn't get, like, 1,100 to 1,300 yards, right? I mean, if he is not – an absolute star as a rookie. It's just insane, and I can't think of a – I mean, it wasn't like this with Todd Gurley last year. I mean, we see Zeke going 1.01 in startups. Obviously, he is the 1.01, the only choice in rookie drafts. But, I mean, this I think this, this just fanfare has kind of got out of hand, don't you think, Nick? And he's he's got a lot to live up to. I mean, Gurley was maybe end of the first round for a lot of people in startups last year. But, not, I mean, as, obviously it's just – you know, the combination of the offensive line and the situation certainly helps Zeke out, but he's got a lot to live up to, don't you think? Oh, definitely. And, yeah, there's no way I would take him in the top three picks of a startup draft, the way, which is pretty much what, where he's going. So that's the price you're going to have to pay to get him. Yeah, that just seems too high for a rookie who, you know, again, he's never seen the NFL field, so why are you going to take him above proven players that you know are going to help your team? It's, you know, For a first-round pick for me, it's got to be somebody safe that I know for a fact will contribute, you know, first will will pay out first-round dividends come the season. Hmm. Yeah. For some reason, that made me think of that startup where I took Jimmy Graham a few years ago, first round. Uh, and here I sit. Uh <laughs> 
um, let's move on to, uh, excuse me, let's move on to our dynasty dilemma. Um, like I said, it's always a pleasure when we can do two players from different positions. Um, and next week, I already have it planned. We're stealing this one from our question and answer that will be out this weekend. We're going to do uh, Jeremy Lankford versus Jay Ajay. Um, and I think it's my turn to choose. So I'll get, I'll get back to you on that. But uh, this week, we're doing Clive Walford and Devin Funches. So you, you chose, right, Nick? Yeah. Yes. Let's uh let's let's play the music. It's almost nothing else but confrontation. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... All right. Well, this Clunches versus Clive Walford. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. Uh, this week we feature the two young, talented guys who I'd love to have on any of my dynasty teams, Devin Funches and Clive Walford. So this dilemma to me boils down to pretty much one thing and one thing only, and that's position. There's a reason that most dynasty experts suggest to build your team around your receivers. Usually wide receivers are compared to running backs in this stance, but you know the same principles apply to wide receivers versus tight ends. I didn't do the research, but it sure seems like more tight ends are bust, at least from a fantasy perspective. I'm sure some highly drafted tight ends are pretty fine blockers. But you know what? More tight ends than wide receivers seems like are fantasy busts. Wide receivers also have a higher chance of production. Last year, 22 wide receivers went over 1,000 yards, while only four tight ends reached that mark. Rob Gronkowski, Greg Olson, Delaney Walker, and Gary Barnett. Not Zach Ertz, not Jordan Reed, even Mr. 13 touchdowns, Tyler Eifert, only had 615 yards. And season-to-season, players replicate their yards far more often than their huge touchdown years. Also, while injuries can, of course, strike any position, tight end has to be considered a more physical position, not only blocking more, but when you're lined up as a sixth offensive lineman, there's always the risk of getting your ankle rolled up on. And while Derek Carr has a chance, and a pretty good chance at that, to be one of the next elite signal callers in the NFL, Cam Newton, the reigning league MVP, is already there. Now, neither Funchess nor Walford is a sure thing, but they both finished strong last year and should have bright futures. But as a wide receiver, I just think that Funchess has a much higher higher ceiling with a pretty similar floor. What do you think, Josh? Hmm. I'm absolutely shocked as I just saw Mohamed Sanu go on my Scott Fishbowl draft in round of 11. That's insanity. But anyway... Um, I do hear what you're saying, but I also think that's the exact reason that I would wait four rounds and take a guy like Walford because I think the position scarcity uh, makes makes a young, more attractive wide receiver a little bit a little or excuse me tight end, but just a little bit more attractive. So I mean, really, Walford had a decent rookie season: 28 receptions, 329 yards, and three touchdowns. Not bad for a backup tight end who was still developing. Funches, who was considered very raw, only converted 31 of 63 targets. He did score five touchdowns as he was thrust into a bigger role than was assumed after the Calvin Benjamin injury. Funches appears to be sliding comfortably into that wide receiver two role with Benjamin assuming wide receiver one and red zone duty. 
red zone duties. What gets lost in all of this is that Funches is still not a complete product. Because he did better than expected, we've all forgotten our criticisms and skepticism about him when he was coming out. We all just assume because he surprised us with his play that he will indeed keep progressing into some superhuman. With the current ADP of 8.08, you get supposedly you get a supposedly entrenched wide receiver two at who at his very peak could be a wide receiver 1.5. Excuse me, considering the situation. With Walford's current ADP of 12.05, you get one of the youngest and most promising players at his position. When you consider the age of guys like Jason Witten, Delaney Walker, Antonio Gates, Gary Barnage, Martellus Bennett, you're, you're getting a chance to sink your dino teeth into a secure option like Walford. And that, that's just nice. I mean, it's, we're going to see a, a, a slew, I think, of tight ends retire here in the next three to five years. And that means Walford's ADP is just going to climb every single year, probably by a couple rounds. Uh, Oakland was severely confident, so severely confident in Walford that they put the, the man that started ahead of him in 2015, Michael Rivera, on the trade block. And even though nothing materialized, you should feel very confident now that uh, Nick, you should feel very confident in him. Now, now Nick and I are in some leagues with some absolute sharks, and I have, have tried desperately to pry Walford away from several owners to no avail. I drafted Walford 11.02 in front of Jimmy Graham, Matt Forte, Jordan Howard, and Will Ty in a startup this past May. And it's totally not a radio thing. I just, I just really love him as a player. I think he can block. I think he runs sharp routes. He's used as an inline and a move tight end. He's and he has some of the finest supporting a fine the fine a fine supporting battery in Derek Carr and Amari Cooper, along with a stout offensive line, which will allow him to break off blocks and be the safety valve for Carr. I really really like both these young players, and I earnestly believe that they will have for Walford three to four rounds with a three to four round ADP. Advantage. Excuse me. What do you think, Nick? Well, I, I like your angle where Walford is probably a better, better value get going three to four rounds later. But uh, w- one of the arguments that people use against Funches is that with Kelvin Benjamin back, everybody else's targets are going to go down. But I, I really think that Kelvin Benjamin's huge year as a rookie was more due to, due to, due to the fact that Cam Newton just really had nobody else to throw to on that team. I don't think Benjamin's going to see near the amount of targets that he did as a rookie. He'll still be good, but I, I think it's going to be kind of a 1-1A one one situation, at least by the end of the year, uh, as Funches continues to develop. Don't you think the same could be said for Funches, though? I mean, he's he saw more action because Benjamin was out last year. True, true, but I think Benjamin had more of an issue with drops as a rookie. He, you know, the, the like I said, the, the reason he put up those crazy numbers was because he had an insane amount of targets. He dropped a lot of balls in those targets, so I, I, I think that could play into Cam Newton possibly leaning more and more towards Funches' side as the year progresses. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll see. That's uh, both both teams are in good situations to have budding young players like that. So, um, and then like I said, next week. Jay Ajay versus Jeremy Lankford, and I'm going to take Ajay there, Nick, so um, you can defend Mr. Lankford next week. 
trade reflection. These are dynasty trades involving picks after they after the picks were drafted. So this is a bit of a a cluster, and somebody got fleeced here. Uh, <laughs> potentially, maybe not. We'll see how it works out. But it's always interesting to add the add the pickage to this one. So this is a big one. Uh, Willie Sneed. And a 2017 first, so that one still hasn't been obviously decided. Uh, and maybe that'll be that'll be the kicker. But uh, so Willie Sneed, 2017 first, uh, t- pick 2.37. This is from DFW 48, by the way. Pick point two three seven, which was eventually Mal. The p- that pick was actually Malcolm Mitchell, but that was after that pick was traded to another team. <laughs> Pick 4.13. Time actually expired on that pick, which was interesting. After that was after that was traded away to pick four and pick 4.14, which was Sam Bradford. <laughs> ironically enough, in because we can do free agent. Uh, all that for pick 1.37 and pick 1.46, which were eventually Tyler Boyd and Will Fuller. So. What do you what do you think there, Nick? Now that now that all that weirdness has been filled in. Well, that's a lot of, a lot of pieces there. And if the 2017 first rounder was like a very early first round pick, then that would definitely be the side I would lean towards. But not knowing how early that pick's going to be in a 48 team league, I'm going to go with the side that picked uh, that got up Tyler Boyd and Will Fuller. I just like those two pieces a lot more than. Mitchell, Willie Sneed, Sam Bradford. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely got a side with the second side there. Yeah, so that the side that got Boyd and Will Fuller was actually me. And the other side was uh, uh, one of the co-owners here at DFW, Luke Grilly. So that 2017 first is, it goes a huge way in totally determining the, you know, the fate of this trade and, and actually where it is. And I think I kind of begrudgingly think because it's my pick that it won't be high. Um, uh, but I traded that first pick away thinking I could ultimately get another first rounder at some point in time. And I, st- I still maybe plan on doing that. I still have aspirations of, you know, Will Fuller catching six touchdowns in the first four games or something like that. And maybe I can get a 2017 first out of somebody. So, um, but it's, it's good to build, to build that basis. And, also, I mean, yes, I gave up a first-round pick next year, but like I said, I think a few months ago, even if it is a high, potentially getting you know a running back there that might be obviously be very beneficial for my team here in this basically offense-only type of format. But you know, I don't think the, the my wide receivers will be there to compete yet either. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different one. Obviously you don't want to ever give up a first round pick, but to get a nice basis and get some, get some extra wide receivers on your team. Uh, that's a good, smart way to go. I think. And this team was in desperate need of help as it was an orphaned team. So um, we talked about this in the question and answer last week. What do you think about Mr. Uh, Chandler Jones, he's got the linebacker designation now that he's in Arizona. Does this effectively hurt his value? 
Uh, definitely. You know, consistent fantasy linebackers make their worthiness through consistent tackle numbers. Uh, very few outside linebacker pass rush specialists like Chandler Jones can be trusted to start every week like Jones was in New England at the defensive end. Now, if your league has a sack-heavy scoring, then, of course, he's still okay. Not elite, probably, but, you know, a linebacker two to three in the sack-heavy leagues. Uh, you know, it's just trust. tough to trust him, though, in standard IDP leagues as a starter. That, that would be my take on the situation. Yeah, Khalil Mack is really the only like pass rusher guy that I can think of that's worth that type of designation. And, um, you know, he does play both, so it's kind of up in the air where he should be. But, you know, he also – or he maybe didn't have, you know, 80 to 100 tackles. He had, tw- I think, 23 tackles for loss last year. So that's that's how those guys really need to uh, to make their money. And you look at some leagues, too, when you, when you, when you go from – defensive line to linebacker you score less for a tackle so that that also makes quantity linebackers get the tackles and we're not going to go i don't think we're going to i don't know if we'll ever see an idp specific world where you have to be you know have to start inside and outside linebackers so maybe that could save chandler jones's career as an idp player but uh we'll see um each and every week we do a little something that we like to call uh, Nick rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him, something that's on his mind, one of those great news stories that uh, fell through the cracks. He picks them up, Lewis Black style, and just delivers for us each every week. So Nick, what do you got for us? Well, between HGH and arrests and former first-round quarterbacks reportedly self-destructing, there's just so much off-season news that is negative. Let's focus on something positive for a change. Last weekend, Seattle defensive end Michael Bennett hosted his fourth annual free youth camp football camp over on Oahu. That's right, Michael Bennett doesn't charge a dime for what is either the thrill of a lifetime or a great learning experience for these kids. Now, it is possible this made the news the prior three years. I don't remember. But the reason it gathered headlines this year is because Bennett called out other athletes for charging for their camps, most notably the NBA's Stephen Curry, who hosted a four-day camp also in Hawaii for the cost of a mere $2,250. Among the great quotes Bennett gave were, how much money do you need before you start giving back for free? And there's so many kids who can't afford to pay such a high amount of money. Now, usually when a person does charity and then gets headlines for doing so, I take it with a grain of salt. But to me, this is different because he's using himself as an example to try to change the system of multimillionaire athletes charging exorbitant amounts of money to have them tell the kids the same thing they're likely already hearing from their school's coaches. So thank you, Michael Bennett, for giving back to your community, and thank you even more for trying to convince others to do the same. Hopefully we'll see a snowball effect. A handful, will do, a handful will do the same next year, a few more the year after that, until a majority of these camps are free. Because really, do these multimillionaires need to be charging thousands of dollars for this? No, they do not. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, you know, and no matter what background these guys come from, I think they have to realize the fact that, you know, there are people that are fortunate enough to use their athletic status and their skills to get that big paycheck, you know, why, but if they're not, you know, financially stable enough to go to camps like this, I mean, $2,000, I mean, that's ridiculous for four days. I mean, I pay, I think, I think I pay like three or four hundred dollars 
my wife does, I'm not sure, but for my son to play hockey, but that runs from October to April. I mean, that's four months. I mean, that, and, you know, baseball around these parts is like 150 bucks a season. And that's, that's two months. I mean, who, what, what kids are there? I mean, who can afford that? Uh, it's just, that's, Ridiculous. So yeah, good good job for for Michael Bennett because you know he's he's making a difference in those lives, those kids' lives, and it's not because they could afford to be there. It's because anybody could go there. Um, you know, in here in Sioux Falls, we also have this thing called the Legends uh, Banquet, which is a um, I don't exactly know what it is, but basically what it boils down to is they have former pro athletes come in and teach these camps and their camps are free. I mean, my son got to skate on the ice with, with former NHL player, Mike Badano a couple months ago for free with, you know, like 80, uh, 80 other kids, but it was, it was totally free. Oh, and they gave him a t-shirt. So, I mean, that, I mean, he got basically like a two hour lesson as a part of a group, you know, from, from a former NHL player, you know, got to shake his hand, got to talk to him, and that was totally free. Obviously, that is a, a fundraising thing, but they do that for all sports. They do that for football. They do that for, you know, basketball. They get they get those pros in to come help teach camps, and that's all free. I'm not saying we do it around here better, but those are examples of just amazing things that are happening with, with different different uh, current and former athletes. I know Chad Greenway taught, taught the football camp here as he's a South Dakota native, too, so yeah, there's just so many different ways to go about it. And I mean, who is, does the athlete really like Nick said, does the athlete really need to make all that money off that? We're going down a weird, a weird tunnel here, but good, good idea. And kudos to you, Michael Bennett for uh, not only is the guy always a character. I love that guy, but uh, for making, making a difference in those kids' lives and not charging them a dime. So we appreciate that. Uh, it is time for some dynasty trade analysis. We have some good ones today, more than more than normal. So let's uh, let's get to that. I just need to take a breath here. Time for dynasty trade analysis. Yeah, I say, all right, all right, all right. Okay, interesting one here, and I don't know, maybe seems plain and simple, but we'll see what Nick has to say. Allen Robinson and Duke Johnson for Newt Hopkins. What do you think there, Nick? Well, there's been a lot of buzz around Duke Johnson this offseason, and I'm not completely buying into it. I think he might be a little bit overrated at this point. But the difference between Allen Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins, I think you're pretty much splitting hairs. I prefer Hopkins, but I do know there's some experts that would prefer Allen Robinson. So given the fact that those two receivers are so even, you know, getting a running back who may be great, you know, maybe maybe not, but he has a chance to do something like Keith Johnson. I would have to side with the team that picked up the two players as opposed to DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, you know, for once I might actually go against DeAndre out of trade here, but that that does make sense. There there is a little bit of an, a more uh, potential there with Duke Johnson. Is I think there is 
you know, some kind of upside there. I still think Crowell is going to going to get a lot of the between the tackles work, but uh, uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But they also brought in um, a guy that Hugh Jackson loves from Cincinnati named Terrell Watson. So we we uh, you plan on seeing getting him getting seeing him get some carries, excuse me, during uh, training camp too. So we'll see how that situation works out. And, you know, really, obviously, you know, if you don't get Allen Robinson, you prefer him to Nuke. You're going to s- settle for Nuke if you're t- doing a startup. That's, and that's not really a bad a bad thing to settle. But even if you just want to split hairs with the wide receivers, you know, look at the supporting cast. Look at the fact that, yes, uh, Nuke got help this offseason and might actually have a quarterback to throw him the ball now. And he's done all that stuff without there. But you also got to think the fact that Allen Robinson not only has does he have a quarterback he's comfortable with, he's got a, a receiving partner in Allen Hearns that he's comfortable with. So I, you might even consider that just when you face these two wide receivers off against each other, that just with supporting cast and the experience. I mean, I think Nuke is definitely the better player, but look at look at the situation too. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I would actually move DeAndre Hopkins because I love him so much, but that's that's a, that's one way I think I would be able to do it. Uh, Sammy Watkins and Lamar Miller for Amari Cooper and pick one point zero one. What do you think, there, Nick? Um, I, I think this trade is probably good for both sides. I'm guessing the side that acquired Lamar Miller and Sammy Watkins is looking to win now, whereas the other side uh, that picked up Amari Cooper and one point, did you say 1.01 or is it 1.02? 1.02. Okay, I'm guessing the side that picked up Cooper and 1.02 is probably looking more to the future, whereas Lamar Miller probably has a pretty short window as far as being a stud running back in there in uh, – Houston, so I think it's pretty even, but I'm going to slightly lean toward the side that picked up Amari Cooper in 1.02 just because there's more long-term value there. Uh, yeah, and, you know, obviously it's Treadwell, Doxon, or Coleman at this point. So um, and if, uh, if you're looking at this aspect where you can ex- basically exchange a veteran Running back who's had, who's potentially at the end of his running back window, or you know, at least not at the end, but on the on the downslide, you're trading that running back for a rookie wide receiver who obviously is a top, you know, a top top player that everybody thinks he's going to be. That's that's one way to to you know recharge your team if that's what you need. So and I, you know, if even looking at it just. Amari versus uh, Sammy Watkins, you know, Watkins has obviously already had many different injuries so far in his NFL career, and I think I would – I feel like we did that dilemma once, Watkins versus Cooper. Um, But I would probably lean Cooper, and that's not uh, the Raider in me. But it it seems – yeah, it seems to make sense, like Nick said, win now now with Sammy and Lamar as opposed to Cooper and uh, whoever you're getting there at you know, a Treadwell type of player. And I, you know, even even the Raider in me says that Oakland is still probably a year away from contending. So I, I, I will not be surprised if they're not 9-7 and seven miss the playoffs this year. So I, I, obviously I want so much more, but uh, I, I'm realistic too. So Cooper is maybe 
also, you know, a couple, maybe one or two years away from really coming into his own. So I, th- I think it's a pretty fair trade. Alan, Alan Hearns for Joe Flacco, Will, Fer- Will Fuller, and Kamar Aiken. Yes, Will Fuller, not Will Ferrell. Well, I, I might like to trade a little more if it was featuring Will Ferrell uh, just for the entertainment <laughs> purposes, but – uh, that's he, I'm not giving up Alan Hearns for that much, especially considering you know if you add three players like Flacco and Fuller and Aiken, two of them are kind of like man the as far as Flacco and Aiken in my mind. So then you're going to have to cut some other guys off your roster to make room for all these new players. I definitely like the side that picked up Alan Hearns and you know trimmed down his roster in the process. Yeah, I mean maybe. I don't know if this was a super flex or not, but maybe, you know, maybe you were just really desperate for a quarterback and wanted to get a young wide receiver in return, and then that that would maybe make more more sense here. But yeah, I, I don't really get this one. That seems like you're giving up Alan Hearns. I don't know. I mean, if you're you're not, I don't think you're getting maximum value for giving up Alan Hearns, especially if if you're rebuilding. Um, but to maybe if you just really, really need a quarterback, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. But uh, yeah, seems like seems like a lot to give up for uh, Mister. Just just to get Alan Hearns too, and I guess on the flip side, you're giving up an, an early pick there too, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, I just not. I would hold Alan Hearns in that aspect unless you're super desperate. I was hoping I could find this trade back on Twitter, but uh, let's move on to the next one here. Kevin White and a 2017 first for Devontae Parker and Michael Floyd. What do you think there, Nick? Well, to me, this pick is, or this trade is all about uh, upside versus safety. You know, the side that picked up Michael Floyd has the proven player. Uh, Devontae Parker also has, you know, a few games under his belt there in Miami. So that's the safer side. But I personally would uh, prefer the, the the other side, Kevin White and the first-round pick. A lot of upside there. You don't know who that first-round pick is going to be, of course. But Kevin White, you know, he was pretty much a unanimous top four selection in last year's rookie drafts before we knew about the injury. So I, I think there's too much upside on the Kevin White and the first-round pick side to not choose side with that. Yeah. I don't know. It's – it is it is an upside thing, but you know we'll see what uh, what Parker develops into. I think I would lean to Parker Floyd side because Michael Floyd's potentially a wide receiver one next year, even if he stays in Arizona, and Parker could develop into that. So um, you know, unless unless you're rebuilding, but I, yeah, I don't know. I I would I would think. I would if I'm gonna trade Devontae Parker, I don't own him, but I would I would I would want more than Kevin White in the first round pick. So that's maybe that's just my thoughts. But I think uh yeah, I'll definitely go Parker Floyd side because I just think the potential of those two is going to happen quicker than, than Kevin White and I think White's hurt again or something like that. I don't know, it's it's not good. <laughs> he's he's always hurt. Uh um moving on here, Des Bryant, Julian Edelman. And a Antonio Gates for Sterling Shepard, Jeremy Hill, Ladarius Green, a 2017 first and a 2017 fourth. What do you think? Uh, 
Let's see, I would prefer Ladarius Green to Antonio Gates. I would prefer Sterling Shepard to Julian Edelman. So then it boils down to would I prefer Des Bryant or Jeremy Hill of 2017 first and fourth. Uh, so on all counts of this trade, I definitely have to side with the team that picks up Shepard, Hill, Ladarius Green, and the two draft picks. Um, really, I'm surprised this trade took place. I could have seen it maybe last year when Des Bryant's value was perceived to be a lot higher than it is today. But, yeah, I, I think this was an absolute steal for the team, uh, the side that picked up Shepard, Hill, Green, and the two two picks. Mm-hmm. Well, and the the sidebar on this one was somebody that's just going all in to win win now, picking up Dez and Edelman and, and Gates. So they're they, you know they're trying to go all in for 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 the one for the one year to win it all, which 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 makes sense. But yeah, that's that's a lot of pieces that you gave up when you know Jeremy Hill's certainly this off season's been different than his value was last off season, but. He's not bad. I mean, he still he still could come out and, and uh, um, thunder for you know twelve hundred yards and whatnot. So, um, yeah, and that's you're getting you're getting Shepard and a great young wide receiver and a 2017 first. So, if you're trying to win now, I guess the deal makes makes sense for uh, for both sides there. Um, get something it's time for plant your flag or wash your hands dot 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 if you have the roster space um oh doozy here nick cody Lattimore. what do you think uh i think if i was in a league where you had to spend waiver wire dollars to cut a player i would still wash my hands with cody <laughs> wow. i mean thankfully i'm not aware of any leagues like that but you know come on eight receptions over two years that could be excused if there was just no chemistry with Peyton Manning. But when the backup Brock Osweiler came in and there was still zero production, he's got to be a bust in my mind. He scored a touchdown. I'm pretty sure he did. I mean, that's so he's ahead of Melvin Gordon. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's been cases of NFL receivers that have done nothing for two years and then shown, I think, I think Victor Cruz sat on the bench for a whole year in, in New York before they let him fly. But yeah, give it up, give it up, Latimer fans. Just <laughs> uh, cut it. Um, Cordero Patterson, Nick. What do you think? Well, not many wide receivers catch 100% of their targets like Patterson did last year. It's just too bad that he only had two more targets than I did. So, you know, if the Vikings aren't going to use him, plus they added another first-round receiver this year, you got to wash your game. This is a boomer bust for Patterson. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, he's a wide rec- He could be their wide receiver three. He could play a little slot action, or they could move him outside. But, you know, you would expect that he's – least attempted to learn the position by now uh, but uh, yeah I mean what are you honestly think you're going you're gonna to get out of him and uh, I do want to point out that I was right about him I, the year everybody was all over him and drafting him like third and fourth round of dynasty startups and redrafts I was just like he hasn't done anything yet everybody was so enthralled about him scoring one rushing touchdown against Baltimore, you know, he was going to be 
I don't know. Has there ever been a really good flanker in the NFL? <laughs> he was just going to be the next, the next biggest thing. You know, he's going to rush for 500 yards and catch a thousand, catch a thousand balls over the next decade. But nope, that's not that's not the case. But it's probably probably time. I mean, obviously, if you have the roster spot and you're just holding out desperately, he he, he might be, yeah. No, he won't. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's move on. You can cut Cordell off. Sorry, buddy. But yeah, it's 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 time. He could prove us wrong this year, but I'm not I'm not betting on it. Uh, Ted Ginn, Nick. What do you think about Ted Ginn? Probably wide receiver three kind of slot action again there in Carolina. But what do you think? I think I'd maybe plant my flag as a wide receiver five. You know, like we mentioned in the the, the dilemma, Devin Funches could fail to develop, and it, you know if, if Funches does develop into a tr- true wide receiver two, then again has a very low floor. Uh, last year he had 739 yards and 10 uh, scores last year. If Funches busts, you know those numbers could be similar this year. So he's kind of a boomer bust guy, but I would tentatively plant my flag right now. Yeah, he's uh, you know obviously best ball format. That's the uh, that's the the one that you you want him in there. But um, it's uh, it's hard because it's we've seen <laughs> we've seen him go other places. Meaning obviously Arizona do absolutely nothing, and I'm not saying he's going to disappear. He obviously has his niche in this offense, but I think. I think his targets will certainly be less if Benjamin comes back and, and is, is healthy. Um, geez, you think about that Carolina receiving core with Ginn, Benjamin, and Funches. They all had, all have or had questions about their hands. Um, but it's an interesting situation because cause they've all have had that. But I do think Ginn's going to be the one most affected by this. So I I think if you if you need the roster space, not if you have it, if you need the roster space, he he's okay to cut and you know if your if your team is really on the precipice of winning a championship, obviously you don't want to cut any type of valuable asset, but if you're rebuilding, he's certainly a player that you don't necessarily need to need to keep around. Um try to trade him, maybe try to trade him. Maybe there's in the Maybe there's an Allen Satterley or a Carolina fan in your league. Maybe try to trade him. What do you think about Danny Amendola, Nick? Well, Amendola is going to turn 31 years old this November. He's never had a 700-yard season, even though he's played 12 to 16 games every year of his three years in New England. So, you know, you mentioned Ted Ginn is probably better in best ball format. Same probably goes for Danny Amendola, but in standard leagues, I think I would have washed my hands. Yeah, you just don't know when when it's going to come <laughs> with with Amendola. So, and that's another another thing with Gand. If you if you're really on the, you know, if you really think your team can make a run, you don't want to be cutting anybody that could potentially be a valuable piece. Um, and if you're maybe own like a Malcolm Mitchell or something like that, it's nice to have a couple of guys around, but you really can't. <laughs> Hold out too much hope on who who is actually going to emerge from the uh, from the uh, uh, skill positions there at uh, in in New England. But uh, and Amadol is thirty one, and I know his life is super hot. But uh, uh, it's time to probably time to wash your hands. I mean, I don't know what like again. I don't know what you could realistically expect out of him when he's never you know 
hit really any benchmarks in his career there. So, um, Darius Haywood Bay, Nick. Now, you could obviously just scoff and just write this one off right away, but you know, without Martavius, they need all hands on deck there. So, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I'd probably sign him for. I'd I'd pay a dollar to sign him off the waiver wire. You know, Uh, you know, only 21 catches, 314 yards, and two scores last year. That was his best year since 2012, actually, when he caught 41 balls for 606 yards and five touchdowns. I think Hayward Bay could be okay if injuries were to strike Pittsburgh wide receiver core, or if Sammy Coates failed to develop. Uh, you know, but he does have a very low floor. He could do absolutely nothing, but you know, he, he's definitely worth a flyer in my mind for this season. Anyway. Yeah, and speaking of, sorry to interrupt you. Speaking of guys with questions about their hands, Haywood Bay is certainly another one. But Sammy Coates is also another one. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see which one of those guys emerges. Still holding out hope for Marcus Wheaton there. I, I like him. Um, I own him. That's why I like him. But uh, Josh Huff in Philadelphia, what do you think? Uh, I think I would have to wash my hands. Uh, Philadelphia seems to be shredding all links to the Chip Kelly era. Josh Huff, of course, uh, was one of Chip Kelly's Oregon Ducks back in the day. Uh, he's only had 410 yards in the last two years, so that's not that impressive. So uh, it's tough to see him making a huge impact, especially with the new coaching staff. I would probably wash my hands. Yeah, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about, and maybe it wasn't really fantasy talk, but Ruben Randall potentially beating out Nelson Aguilar. I was reading some articles um, about that. And I I kept thinking, the fantasy mind of me kept thinking, well, it's wide receiver two in this offense. I mean, J-Matt's going to be, if J-Matt's Macklin, I mean, does that make Ruben Randall what to Anthony Thomas or Albert Wilson? I mean, it's not really a much a much uh, exciting situation anyway there in Philadelphia. I guess, I guess is my point. And I know as a Nelson Aguilar owner, Nick, you don't want to hear that, but uh, um, and obviously you're not going to cut him. But uh, we might be talking about him next year at this time. So uh, what do you think about <laughs> Mr. Kenny Britt? And Kenny Britt is not the tight end. As I put so in my notes, obviously we know that. But anyway, what do you got, Kenny Britt? Well, I think in best ball formats, I would definitely plant my flag as he averaged almost 19 yards per catch last year, but he only had 36 receptions. So he's very unreliable, plus he's got the new rookie quarterback to work with. So I think if not in a best ball format, I would wash my hands. Yeah, he's only 28. I mean, he's he's – uh, he's just such – he's one of those ultimate fantasy teases. You know, he's like Reggie Bush. He's just like, you know, there's so much there. There's so much talent there. It just never came to light. And maybe Jared Goff will find something in him, but it's not going to last. I mean, it's not like he's going to be around for three years there anyway. I think he's just on another one-year deal. So I, I'm I'm okay with washing my hands on him too. Um you know, and he's one of those guys, like, if he went to, like, a New England or if he was the, the guy that since he brought in instead of LaFell, he immediately would just have this huge, huge value. But it's just, yeah, with the like Nick said, combined with the rookie quarterback and the fact that he just hasn't done it throughout his career, it's just, it's time to cut ties with him. Uh, Crockett Gilmore, Nick, in Baltimore, what do you think? 
Well, last year, 33 catches, 412 yards, and four scores. But now he's going to be competing with second-year tight end Max Williams and Ben Watson. And there's reports Dennis Pitter is healthy. So I think I would have to wash my hands. There's too, just too much risk there. It's a complete log jam at the position. Uh, you know, are we seeing maybe the first-ever tight end by committee? <laughs> Uh, the TEBC, um, yeah, I, the, the, yeah, that's just so much there. And don't forget they have Darren Waller, who's they've changed his designation to tight end now too. So, I mean, I'm sitting with a team, an orphan team right now that I have Watson and Gilmore. It's just like, well, God, I want to just cut them both, but <laughs> I don't know if I should. You know, I'll, I'll ultimately cut. You know, or if I just cut one, I'm sure I'll cut the wrong one, but. Well, we could talk about Watson now since since I put him on there, too, since we're talking about Google. But Watson, you know, obviously had a career year last year, but he's not with Drew Brees anymore either. So that's uh, certainly something to consider. So I think it's safe safe to cut them both. You know, maybe, maybe hold out as long as you can and see who is ultimately named the starter. I think they're going to use a lot of two tight end sets to maybe help help get their running game afloat and help make sure Mr. Flacco is okay, but that's not, that's for blocking purposes, not for fancy purposes. So we'll see. Well, I think that's probably how it's going to work out. So I'm not cutting Max Williams, but uh, any, any other tight end sitting around, it's probably pretty safe to, uh, to cut ties there in Baltimore, especially, especially if you're rebuilding, you know, if you got, if he's, if Watson is your third tight end on a potential playoff team, I won't I won't blame you for holding on to him, but that's probably about the only situation I'm doing that. What do you think about Ben Watson there, Nick? Well, at the risk of contradicting myself, I, I know it's a crowded depth chart at tight end in Baltimore, but Watson and the team knew that before signing him. He's coming off a 74-catch, 825-yard, and six-touchdown season in New Orleans. Uh, in my opinion, he is going to be Baltimore's tight end one this year. Uh, his numbers are going to drop slightly. Like you mentioned, he's not playing with Drew Brees anymore. But I think he's still a valuable piece for teams trying to win now, like you mentioned. If you're two, three years out, of course you're going to try to trade him off. But for this year, I would plant my flag with Ben Watson. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh, Lance Kendricks. Not even fun to say. What what, what do you think? Another Ram pass catcher. Yeah, I think I'm going to wash my hands here. He he never could beat out the inconsistent Jared Cook. He, he's probably going to start this year over the rookie Tyler Higby, but with a rookie quarterback also, I think he's going to see numbers close to Cook's numbers last year, which was 39 catches, 481 yards. You know, maybe hold him in super deep leagues if you're desperate for a tight end this year, but there's not much long-term value there. So in most formats, I would wash my hands. Yeah, you know, if you own Kendricks and you have this great reason why, uh, uh, you could explain it to us. I would love to hear it, but I don't want to be in that league because I don't want to be in a league that that's deep. I mean, surely Vance McDonald is is around or available for a trade or something like that. That's yeah. I mean, he's the starter. He's got that going for him, but that. That is about else. If he survives from last year, I would be absolutely floored, and I'll admit that I'm wrong. But uh, I I feel pretty confident that he's not going to not going to do much besides maybe keep Jared Goff on his on his feet uh, and not on his duff. 
Uh, let's go to best number 42, Nick. What what do you got for us? There, there's some fairly decent names, and then I have a little sentimental one. What do you got for us? <clears throat> well, we'll start with a trio of three-time Pro Bowl running backs. Uh, the fullback, John Brockington, went to the Pro Bowl his first three seasons in the NFL, starting in 1971, going over 1,000 yards in each of those three years. Chris Warren broke out in year three with over 1,000 yards for Seattle in 1992, his first of four straight years over 1,000 yards with career highs, 1,545 yards in 1994 and 15 touchdowns in 1995. Gerald Riggs went to the first of his uh, three Pro Bowls in 1985 when he led the NFL with 397 carries while playing in Atlanta. In the final three seasons of uh, Gerald Riggs' 10-year career, uh, Riggs went to Washington where he scored 11 touchdowns for the world champion 1991 Washington Redskins team. But kind of a piece of crap off the field after raping a bunch of women familiar with, but he did go to five Pro Bowls as a cornerback for Buffalo, playing there from 1964 to 1970, before one final year in Denver. Johnny Robinson began his career with over 1,850 yards from scrimmage in his first two seasons, before moving to defense in year three, 1962. The move was a success, as Robinson went to the Pro Bowl every year from 1963 through 1970, recording a total of 57 interceptions along the way for the Chiefs. Now, I am a Redskins homer for putting Gerald Riggs on the list, probably. That's debatable, but there's no question that the Hall of Famer Charlie Taylor belongs among the great number 42s. Charlie Taylor was an eight-time Pro Bowler, two times led the NFL in receiving, uh, started as a halfback with 755 rushing yards, 814 receiving yards as a rookie, then in year three transitioned to wide receiver. His 79 receiving touchdowns is still in the top 25 of all time. Pretty good for a guy who retired in 1977 before the high-flying offenses started to take, to take place. So, you know, it seems like every week uh, lately we've had another 1972 Miami Dolphin, and this week it's the eight-time Pro Bowler and Hall of Fame wide receiver Paul Warfield. Warfield went to the playoffs ten times in his 13 seasons with Cleveland, Miami, and uh, winning three titles and twice leading the league in touchdown catches. But the number 142 of all time has to be Ronnie Lott, Hall of Famer, 10-time Pro Bowler, four-time Super Bowl champion, cornerback, free safety, strong safety, two-time league leader in interceptions, 63 interceptions is eighth of all time, six-time All-Pro, and he was an All-Pro at all three positions. Uh, you know, but he was best known for being one of the toughest SOBs around. He even had the injured, <laughs> injured finger cut off so he could continue to play in the playoffs. You know, maybe that means there's hope for Jason Pierre-Paul, right? Either way, uh, Ronnie Lott is definitely the best number 42 of all time. Uh, uh, The numbers. What do you got, Josh? Jason Pierre-Paul does not deserve to be talked in the same sentence as Ronnie Lott. (laughs) You know, as much as we... As much as we have been all over, you know, our love for Steve Atwater and the fact that he should be in the Hall of Fame... I, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I looked at Ronnie Lott's stats and it was like, he retired in 1994. There is so many people that didn't get a chance to see him play. There's, you know, think of the guys that are 10 years younger than us, Nick. They're just like, they didn't get to see this guy. I mean, he, he was built like a linebacker, but played corner and just destroyed people when he played safety. I mean, just an absolute 
beast. And like you said, a pro bowler at three different positions. I mean, the the key cog to the back end of those San Francisco Supers. I mean, just an absolute beast. And he came over to Oakland and was very, very, did very good for them too. Um, yeah, just a phenomenal player. I mean, if you had a, if you had Ronnie Lott and Steve Atwater as your safeties on your team, you were going to, you're going to break some skulls and you're not going to give up too many, too many deep balls as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to mention about Paul Warfield too. He, uh, not only did he go to the playoffs all those years, but he finished with a career average per reception of 20.1. I mean, obviously the game was different back then and he did have 1000 yard season, uh, another one of 996 and led the year led the league in touchdowns a couple times, like Nick said, but uh, year, per reception, 20.01. That is insane. That is the fourth best all-time of guys that had, like, at least 225 receptions or something like that. At least 200 receptions, we'll say. Um, Butch Bird is a guy that you mentioned, 40 interceptions in his career. That was pretty pretty, pretty good Anytime time somebody get up there. Um, I also want to mention, me and Nick use this pro football reference player number uniform thing to to bring up, you know, and you can you can filter it by the importance of this player within uh within the NFL in terms of the number that they wore. And I just wanted to mention, I thought it'd be fun to mention the player that was least, according to pro football reference, least important to the number forty two, and his name is Lawrence Wright. Uh, played for the Cincinnati Bengals in 97 and 99, recorded four tackles and four assists in 1999 for the Cincinnati Bengals. So Lawrence Wright, if you if you think he didn't matter, you just got you just got mentioned on a podcast for for wearing the number 42. Um, John Gilliam is a one guy that I want to mention. Now I, as I said many times before, I did, I watched a lot of NFL films as a child, and he. He came into my view because I had uh, had some friends that were really into the Viking '70s lore, and he was a Viking in the '70s. Uh, played played for a handful of teams, but he was unbeatable when he played for uh, played for the Saints, the Rams, and the Vikings, and also Atlanta. But for his first year in Minnesota, Nick, get this: uh, not only did he go over a thousand yards and score seven touchdowns. Um, which is, you know, decent numbers, decent renumbers for a wide receiver. Uh, he did so on 47 receptions. That's 22 yards per reception. He finished with a career high. Of, his career his career average was 18.5, but 22 receptions, 1,000 – excuse me, 47 receptions, 1,000 yards in one season. I just – that blew me away when I saw that stat. I knew he was good the first year he was there in Minnesota, but that was – Absolutely phenomenal. 48 career touchdowns, 380, 380 receptions, 7,000 yards. Uh, so just a, a player that I, I always thought was pretty pretty phenomenal because I obviously got to see the heyday of his career watching watching NFL films like I did. But uh, John Gilliam, number 42 there for the Vikings. That's got, yeah, like you said, got to be, uh, got to be Mr. Uh, Ronnie Lott. That's, Paul Warfield is certainly up there, but Lot is the the beast with with the most when it comes to uh, the number forty two. Um, Ross should be joining us here in just a couple minutes. 
Um, do a Scott Fishbowl update after that, and then some bold predictions as we are actually stretched out enough, Nick. I thought I timed it just a little bit wrong, but uh, let me um, let me just text Ross here. Nick, what do you think about um, – uh, I think last time we talked to Ross, he talked – remember he – oh, he's there right now. One second here. Ross, are you there? Yes, what's up? Very good. Uh, Thank you for joining us. It's Ross Tucker. You're listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Nick and Josh. We're talking to former NFL player Ross Tucker. Um, Ross, we talked to you a few years back when me and Nick had a podcast for a different website, and I think you had a couple podcasts then. Now you have, I think, four and your Sirius XM show on Thursday, is, is and you have this awesome new website called tuckheads.com. Is, is that is that all you have going on, or is there more that we need to know about? <laughs> well, I think that's probably the most relevant stuff, certainly. Yeah, I, I do a the Ross Tucker football podcast. I also do um, the Fantasy Feast podcast for fantasy even money for waging, wagering, you know, gaming. I also do um, the College Draft podcast, which is evaluating the top prospects, and uh, I really enjoy that one. It's fun to watch the tape and get into that. And then, yeah, I'm on Sirius XM NFL Radio every morning. I write columns for Sports on Earth, and um, I do have a, a really popular forum at TuckHeads.com now. So. And then there's some TV stuff, and I, I do games every every Sunday for Westwood One, which is fun. Yeah, and I I do appreciate it. I I've had the chance to travel on some Sundays, and I appreciate hearing you on the radio because of that the aspects that you bring to the game. Obviously, that's somebody that has been there, and I feel I feel like I can I can see things happening because it, because it's you um, giving us good insight there. The cop I. I the college draft podcast, I just have to say, is probably my favorite podcast. And is it? Is there? Am I missing one this week? I haven't. I haven't seen it come through yet. No, you know what? We uh, for scheduling purposes, we have to record it on Thursday this week. It's usually Tuesday, okay. but we have to record it on Thursday this week. But I well, like I'm, that you noticed that. Very good. I like that. <laughs> I wait for it every week, and I'm traveling Friday morning. So there you go. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, like I said, you just had a couple of podcasts. Now you have all these podcasts, and you've also introduced me to the world of Fran Duffy and all of his podcasts. So that Fran is, of course, your co-host on the College Draft podcast, and you guys have have great chemistry. And the insight that you're able to bring is is so phenomenal, especially for people like us here in the Dynasty community. That I mean, you're you're always giving us insight and updates throughout the college year too. That 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 podcast started last summer, right? And I think if you're a dynasty fan, you need to listen to the podcast because those guys, those guys have it going on there with that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that is a good point is that, you know, we definitely get you ahead of the game from a dynasty perspective. You know, a lot of it's just surrounding the draft and evaluating these top players in college football, but certainly, you know, you can use it from a dynasty perspective to have a competitive advantage as well. Well, we 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 obviously relish in the chance to talk to a former NFL player, so we have just a, just a handful of questions here for you. But did you? 
I mean, I know Tuckhead.com is kind of your big thing right now. Did you want to maybe explain just a little bit more about that to people? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it, it's, it is a forum for people that listen to my podcast to be able to, and listen to me on the radio, to be able to interact with each other and interact with me. So I'm on there every day. Um, you know, a lot of the, the users are on there every day. It's just fun. I'm getting to know my listeners a lot better. Uh, we get to get into a lot of different topics that otherwise we wouldn't be able to get into. I post video and audio there that, you know, you really can't find anywhere else or that I don't post anywhere else. So, so far it's really been a lot of fun. We're enjoying it. Okay. And that's just simply tuckheads.com. Uh, Nick, do you have a question there for Ross? Uh, yeah, Ross. Well, first, thanks for coming back. Uh, but the question, uh, conventional wisdom for the last uh, couple of years has been that Dallas has the best offensive line in the league. Do you still believe that to be the case? And if so, or if not, who else deserves to be in the discussion? I do believe that to be the case. I, I do believe the Cowboys still have the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, they've got three guys that are arguably the best at their position in the league in Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, as well as uh, Zach Martin, who might be my favorite of the bunch. So they absolutely are up there. Um, In terms of some of the other offensive lines, I like, I really like Cincinnati and what they bring to the table. You know, Pittsburgh has been very good as of late. That's another one that I think you can hang your hat on. Um, In the NFC, you know, those are a couple AFC teams that threw at you. I don't think that – I think Green Bay's offensive line is better than it gets credit for, quite frankly. I don't think that they, they get a whole lot of credit, but I think they're actually pretty darn good. And those would be some of the ones that, that really stand out to me. What what do you think about the Raiders' offensive line? I mean, they they moved, moved in some pieces here and there. Is that going to take a year to gel, you think? That's a really good question, and you never really know. I am a believer in continuity and chemistry up front with the big guys. I think that's extremely valuable. But when you start to just look at what they've done up front, they sure as heck have given themselves a chance to be you know, one of the top offensive lines in the league. I am a huge fan of Kaleche Osemele, who they signed from Baltimore in free agency. I just think he is excellent. I I truly appreciate his style of play. I wish more offensive linemen played like he did. So to have Rodney Hudson at center and Gabe Jackson assembly at the guards, that is as good as interior offensive line as there is in the league. And so, you know, depending on how you feel about Latavius Murray, uh, they absolutely should have a chance to to get the ground game going. I think if you're playing against the Raiders, you're still going to feel like you need to have two deep safeties because of Crabtree, Cooper, and Derek Carr and what they did in the passing game last year, which should really give the offensive linemen a, a good chance to go against some favorable looks. You know, you referenced a year to get together – it might not take a full year, but usually it takes some time. You're not really sure when it clicks, so to speak. 
But so often you're working in concert with someone else that it takes a little while to get used to exactly what they're going to do in certain situations. You know, it's like when you're on the phone, you know, even you guys hosting this podcast together, you probably sound a lot better. You're a lot smoother. It's, it's a lot different now than it was when you first started because you have a better sense and feel for what the other guy's going to say and vice versa. Well, it's the same thing with offensive linemen playing next to each other. Okay. Yeah, well, you're giving this Raiders fan goosebumps just talking about it because now, now I'm really excited. Uh, uh, is there a current or past offensive lineman that you think could be a solid defensive lineman? Ooh, that's an interesting question because I can give you a lot probably the other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it usually it usually doesn't transfer that much, um, you know, from offense to defense. I guess – I could see a guy like like Tyron Smith from the Cowboys being a pretty good 3-4 defensive end against the run if that's what you asked him to do and that's what you wanted him to do. You know, that's one that comes to mind for me. Usually there's road grading, you know, offensive guards, maybe even like a Gabe Jackson that could be a pretty good defensive tackle, but that's usually few and far between, you know. I don't know if it's a secret or not, but I can tell you that defensive linemen are usually significantly better athletes. I mean, they just are. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the combine, you, you just look at how they move and how explosive they are. There's a reason why they're defensive linemen. And so, you know, I have heard people talk, though, before that maybe more of these defensive linemen, like in college, should try to be O-linemen. Because, number one, they could probably excel with their athleticism. Number two, offensive linemen usually have longer careers and make plenty of money. Yeah, very true, very true. Nick, did you have another question there for Ross? Yeah, I was curious. Uh, when you were playing, which did you see as a tougher assignment as an interior offensive lineman? Facing a smaller penetrating defensive lineman like an Aaron Donald or a big space eater like a Vince Wilfork in his prime? Love that question, and it's definitely a guy like Aaron Donald. And I would, I would add to that that it is somewhat scheme-specific. So it somewhat depends on, you know, what they're asking those guys to do and how those guys are able to, to get up the field. You know, there's some bigger guys. I'll give an example. Richard Seymour was a handful as a bigger guy but he wasn't really allowed to really get up the field like some other guys that I went against back in the day, like Bryant Young, Leroy Glover, guys like that. I mean, the toughest guys to go against are the guys that that have both. You know, Big Daddy Wilkinson, Sam Adams, Daryl Gardner were some of the guys I went against that they were gigantic and had cat-like quickness, which made them, you know – one of the few human beings in the world at that size that could move the way they could. But you go against a guy like Aaron Donald, you can never get leverage on him because he's so (laughs) low to the ground. You know, one of the reasons why he fell in the draft was his height, or I guess just size. I I laughed at that. I I would argue that it actually helps him more than anything because you, you know, at me, I'm just about six, five. You can never really get under the guy to feel like you have leverage on him. 
And then if they come out low enough, you're, you're never really getting a good surface to try to strike. And then they're just so quick. It's, uh, I, you know, when I watch him play, he, he's the guy more than any other that I would really not want to go against. I mean, I, I would just hold the crap out of him to be honest with you and hope they didn't call it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's yeah. He, I I think it's he's such a trans, just like a transformational player too. And now it's just like we we almost forget about those huge defensive tackles. I mean, like when you're talking about like rookies, like you guys do on the college draft podcast, it's like oh well, is he Aaron Donald? Or I mean, he's he's not. Is he not? But he's gonna. We're always gonna compare the next you know great penetrating tight end or defensive tackle. Excuse me to Aaron Donald, and he's just already accomplished that in his short career. It's just pretty amazing. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because when he was in college, I thought he reminds me, he looks like, you know, you know what I mean? So um, that that target, that guy that you say sort of changes over time. Yeah. yeah. Um, is Who are some of the rookie offensive linemen, Ross, that are, they're going to have a, an immediate impact on their team's You know, it's a good question because it's much more of a crapshoot than people would lead you to believe. You know, I mean, how often have we heard in recent years, you know, here's a guy that he's going to start for 10 years, he's a safe pick, and they end up being Luke Jokel or Greg Robinson or Eric Fisher, and they've got issues. So I think that 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 whole approach – is a little bit overstated, overrated, certainly. Um, one guy that I'd feel pretty good about is Ronnie Stanley uh, in Baltimore. You know, he's going to be their left tackle, and I just think he's very well coached from Harry Heastand at Notre Dame. He's polished, he's ready to go, and he's got a, a good group of guys he's playing next to, including Marshall Yanda. So I think he'll do pretty well. I also think Ryan Kelly you know, out of Alabama, who's going to be the, the center for the Colts this year, could be a really steadying influence in the middle that they, that they really need. Okay. Nick, did you have any other questions there for us? Well, real quick, just in fantasy terms, are there any running backs who are either way higher or way lower on than the overall fantasy community just based on their offensive line situation? You know, I guess I'd have to take a, a closer look at, at the, uh, you know, where the, where the quote-unquote fantasy community has them ranked. But to this point, I, I would say nope, none of them really jump out to me. I think most people have a pretty good feel. I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but I guess I'm not – even with the O-line, I'm still taking a wait-and-see approach with Latavius Murray. And, I'm, you know, I, I think that the Falcons are going to try to dial back Devontae Freeman's touches a little bit. I think one of the ones I'm most interested in seeing what happens is with Gurley in, in Los Angeles. I know he's saying, hey, pick me first. People are really going to load the box. They already were last year, but that offensive line, they made some good picks last year up front and those guys are a year older that that offensive line should really start to come together this year. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us, Ross. Again, it's Ross Tucker, uh, NFL journeyman, now host of a plethora of podcasts for all your, all your football needs. And 
like you say, if you if you have the sickness, you got to go. You got to go to tuckheads.com and check it out, right? Exactly. If you've got the sickness, uh, that's the doctor. That's the cure. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for joining us, Ross. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and ask ask you questions about your playing career. That's a big thrill for both of me and Nick. So we appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys. All right. Well, obviously, great great stuff when we get to talk to a a former NFL player and, and good insights uh, and. Hopefully uh, his offensive line talk, and obviously we have some fun questions in there too. But hope, hopefully it can help. Yeah, are you feeling? Are you feeling the Latavius Murray maybe a little bit more, Nick? Uh, a little bit more maybe. Yeah, still a little hesitant, but yeah, definitely, definitely a good sign when Ross Tucker's talking up uh, the Raider offensive line. Well, yeah, and I had to throw it out there because he didn't mention them, so I, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Scott. Fishbowl update. So uh, I am in the Scott Fishbowl. We're actually up through round 10. It just started Monday, so it's fairly decent. Um, it's on uh, myfantasyleague.com. So the same type of, you know, long kind of sneaking draft, email draft type of thing. Um, it's called Scott Fishbowl 480 because there is 480 teams in it. We talked a little bit about this last week. With the mocks, um, it is a super flex, so you can start a, you can start up to two QBs. Um, it's also a, a tight end premium, so tight ends get a point per reception. Everybody else just gets a half point. And running backs get .25 per carry. So the big the big uh, uh, the big breadwinners there get a little bit uh, little get more of a bump there too. So uh, starting out, Nick, I went. I thought I maybe messed messed myself up right away, uh, but I went Gronk in the first because it is a tight end premium, and I didn't like the the RB options there. Are the my you know can't like Cam and AP were all gone. David Johnson. I thought maybe one of those guys. So I went Gronk. I had the last pick of the first round, excuse me, and the first pick of the second round, obviously. So I went Gronk. And I went New Hopkins just because I cannot control myself, and this is actually the first time ever I've had DeAndre Hopkins in a league that actually means something, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, knowing full well that I could get some running backs and some quarterbacks later, because I thought maybe after, you know, Russell and Cam going, uh, and I did not go Luck or Rodgers. I could have, but I thought that was a little bit early on them. So I got uh, Gronk and Nuke one, two. Turned around two running backs in Carlos Hyde and, and Latavius Murray. Speaking of Latavius Murray, uh, third and fourth rounds. So I, I think I think I got you know 400 carries potentially out of those two guys, and then I went back and got myself two quarterbacks in Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. Uh, two guys that both me and Bill Servi think could finish in the in, in the top ten. Two guys with some pretty good weapons and. Uh, Jared Smola, I can't remember what website he writes for, but he posted something about Philip Rivers and Andy Dalton facing some of the worst defenses this year. So obviously in redraft, I think those guys may be a little bit potentially more more uh, attractive there. But I got Eli and Rivers round seven and eight. I got Devontae Parker. Uh, just my second wide receiver, but pretty happy to get a guy like that kind of upside. And I think with not being – you know, just a half point PPR. Um, like some of these touchdown upside guys up more attractive. So I got Parker, and I followed it up with Amir Abdullah. 
And then I follow that up with Alan Hearns and Theo Riddick. So hopefully I have the top two guys there in the Detroit backfield. What, what are your thoughts there? Anything jump out to you? Um, well, I'm surprised you were second-guessing your first two picks. I thought that was amazing getting Rob Gronkowski with the last pick in the first round, especially with the extra bonus for uh, tight end catches, and then pairing him up with DeAndre Hopkins. I thought that was great, like you know, best possible scenario type of thing for your first two picks. Um, uh, I was a little bit surprised on the premium placed on running backs, even with getting the uh, – you know, 0.25 yards per carry uh, or points per carry. Uh, you know, Bell, Elliott, Gurley, Lamar, uh, Miller, David Johnson, AP, all going in the first round. Um, also, was a little bit surprised the uh, first quarterback didn't go till 1.09 with Cam Newton, uh, and then Russell Wilson, the second quarterback, uh, 1.11. Uh, one big surprise that shocked me was uh, Dante Moncrief going over T.Y. Hilton. Did you expect that to be the case? Uh, well, you know, I think that is kind of one of those. I think T.Y. is certainly one of those touchdown upside guys. And Moncrief is, I think Moncrief is going to, I would, I'll say this right now, and I'm not, it's not a bold prediction. Those are, those are after this. But I will, I will not be surprised if Moncrief has more catches than T.Y. this year. I, I just really I really think he's going to be that X wide receiver and that's going to open things up for T Y down downfield. So that while it does surprise me, um, you know, I, I have no, no problem settling for either one. Um, if I had to choose maybe in this format, I would still probably lean T Y just because, just because the experience. Um, but I, I think, I think a lot of Dante Montes right now. I, I, he's, he might be even considered like, you know, definitely, definitely in my top twenty wide receivers right now. I think he's going to be have a really good year. So, and it's not a standard; it's still a half PPR. So, I think that tight end upside, maybe that, maybe that conflicts that just a little bit there. So, or excuse me, the touchdown upside. Uh, any other, any other thoughts there? Um, just a couple steals in round eight. Uh, Kobe Fleener, especially with the tight end uh, uptick in, in uh, points, and Tyler Lockett, both falling to round eight. I thought those guys were absolute steals. Yeah, and it's it's weird that, like, Ertz was still available. Um, Eifert was still available. Ladarius Green was still available. All, all those, it's just weird that Fleener went above all those guys, especially Ertz and, and – um, Eifert, and I know Eifert's hurt and is probably going to miss most of training camp, but uh, I was just surprised about how some some of these tight ends have lasted so so far. So, um, Bill, I know Bill Servi went actually went quarterback quarterback in one first two rounds because Cam fell to him and he couldn't could not say no, and then he turned around and took Russell Wilson there. So we'll see how his draft works out. Uh, coincidentally, I just just found out about this yesterday. But Jeff Melbostead here, the kind of the, the man behind the scenes that powers a lot of the stuff for our website and keeps us keeps us online every day, he finished third overall in this thing last year. When I did not know about that until yesterday. Um, last year it was the Scott Fishbowl 360. So out of 360 teams, Jeff finished third. So uh, I I don't know how that slipped through the cracks, and I missed that. That's that's pretty phenomenal. I, um, I hope I can get out into the playoffs because my team last year was terrible. But uh, 
I took some chances and uh, got Kevin White in that league too. So I uh, also got DeMarco Murray pretty hard, but uh, I tried. Uh, but I think I lived and learned, and I think I have fairly decent uh, core already. So uh, um, we'll leave it at that. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if anybody in my division's listening, but <laughs> uh, I think. If I can continue to go, you know, like maybe tight end and then another running back, wide receiver, another running back, I think that's probably the way to go. I only do have the two quarterbacks, and with it being a QB flex, it's nice to get uh, to get another another quarterback in the mix. But there's really not uh, really not much left besides the rookies and uh, and Robert Griffin there. So that's that's where we're at. I was a little surprised that you know that even after you know the big four with Cam, Russell Wilson, Luck, and Rogers going. There really wasn't a nice run, and I know we've talked about this before. When I when I went boom boom with Philip Rivers and Eli Manning, that started the rest of those quarterbacks coming off the board. Just a crazy QB run there. So, um, it's it's fun to be at the the bookends of those drafts and start things like that. So, I think the same thing kind of happened when I went running back, running back in three four. So, uh, yeah, good times. Uh, hopefully, like I said, I can make the playoffs. Or somebody from DFW can make the playoffs. I think there's at least seven of us from DFW in that. So um, it is bolt prediction time. Nick, why don't we just go back and forth? We'll start with you. What do you got for us? Uh, well, my first bold prediction is that Tyrod Taylor is going to get a bigger long-term contract than Kirk Cousins. Uh, this could play out two ways. Uh, either Kirk Cousins could fail to impress this season the way, uh, the, you know, the way he played last year. You know, if he ends up being just a one-year bust, he's not going to get a big one uh, long-term deal. The other way it could play out is that they both play well this year and Tyron Taylor gets the franchise tag next year while Kirk Cousins gets the long-term extension next year. So then uh, Tyron Taylor has an additional year of inflation uh, with salary cap, and so, you know, typically you know, every single year contracts get bigger and bigger and bigger. So if they both, you know, if he gets franchised next year and gets the long-term deal in uh, 20, 2018, then he definitely would have a bigger contract than Kirk Cousins. So that's my first bold prediction. Ooh. Um, interesting. I think before I forget to mention Scott Fishbowl, uh, quarterbacks get an extra one. They get one point per carry, I think, in that. So that makes those running quarterbacks a little bit more more enticing. Um, I don't think that's a word. Um, the Giants. That's right. The New York football Giants. They're going to win the NFC East, Nick. And I look at this as the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in Philadelphia. Uh, like you said earlier, Cousins, we don't know. We know maybe he takes the next step and is, is a consistent player, but we just don't know. And, you know, Tony Romo is 39 years old and, you know, as fragile as Fred Taylor ever was. So I, I think it's I think it's a legit possibility. I like the pieces that they've added on their defense. There's going to be, like Ross said earlier, there's going to be a, a, a time of, a gelling time, I think, for them. Uh, but uh, I like the the offensive pieces in place. They have some good – it's not a, an attractive fantasy position, but uh, they have some good competition, I believe, at both running back and tight end and Sterling uh, Shepard. And, oh, yeah, oh, this guy named Odell Beckham is, is pretty decent. So 
I think it could happen. I, I if I had to put my money on it right now, which team? That's that's where I think I that's where I think I would go. I also think a very underrated uh, draft pick by them was Darian Thompson, who's going to be their free safety and really shore up uh, the back end and make a nice little one-two punch there at safety with uh, Thompson and of course Landon Collins, who is the absolute man still. So, uh, what do you got next or next? Uh, next up, uh, I think Cody Kessler for the Cleveland Browns starts at least eight games at quarterback. Uh, Hugh Jackson said when they drafted Kessler, a lot higher than most expected him to go, uh, to, hey, just trust him. And Hugh Jackson has the track record of building up quarterbacks to be pretty pretty good players in the NFL. Most people didn't think Andy Dalton would ever achieve the things that he has done at the pro level. Um, and plus, the only guy in front of him really is Robert Griffin, who I, I'm rooting for Robert Griffin as a Skins fan. I really hope he's able to turn his career around, but I just have the feeling that Washington absolutely broke the guy. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think that Cody Kessler is going to be starting sooner than later. So Kessler starts eight games for Cleveland. That's my bold prediction number two. Okay. Um, I know some of these should maybe be a little more fantasy-centric. And we're getting there. It just it's just we gotta go we gotta shake off the rust from doing this last year. Uh so mine this one is Jay Ajay will rush for a thousand yards. That's no big deal, Nick. He's got six sixty yards per game and you get a thousand yards in the NFL. Sixty times sixteen is about you know, that's gonna get you there. So I, I think that's feasible. Do they do they want do they want him to get more running backs there all off season? Yes, you gotta have a slew of running backs. You gotta have depth and yeah, Keon Drake's there, but he, you know, at at his peak is going to be, you know, Reggie Bush maybe, but he's also a big health risk just for like Bush. So it's only 60 yards a game, Nick. What do you think? Oh, I, I'm definitely with you. I think J.J. easily is a 1,000-yard running back this year. Okay. I guess it wasn't so bold. Uh, what do you got next? Um, I think the, without uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, Detroit is going to return to their cellar dweller status. Uh, I believe Detroit gets a top five pick in next year's draft. I just don't think they have the firepower to compete, especially in such a tough division. you got up-and-coming Minnesota. you got Green Bay, who's always strong. And uh, Chicago, you know, hopefully with Kevin White returning, they're going to have a lot stronger of a receiving core. So I, I just think Detroit's going to definitely finish in fourth place and probably have a top five pick. Okay. All right. Well, I maybe went a little too high on my number here, but I think Teddy Bridgewater, this is really, this is the boldest one of the day, will score, not score, will throw 25 touchdowns. Any initial thoughts when I say that, Nick? And, and Or can you just going to tell me how it's not going to happen? What do you think? I'm not going to say it's not going to happen because 25 touchdowns isn't a huge number, but the fact is he only threw 14 touchdowns last year, so that would be quite a big jump, and especially with Adrian Peterson and the goal line back, Matt Alziata, still in the fold. I, 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 I think that's a little bit high. I would lean closer to probably around 20 touchdowns in my opinion. I thought about 20, but I decided to go really bold here and say uh, – uh, 25. No, obviously that's more than even 20 is more than a touchdown per game. So that's breaking it down. That's, you know, there's certainly quarterbacks that average more than a touchdown per game throughout their career, probably, but it's not, uh, 
you know, you still have to do it every single game to keep up a number like that. And I, I just think with Treadwell and Diggs, I mean, he doesn't have a wide receiver one, but he has, I think, two of the best wide receiver twos right now in the NFL. I know Treadwell hasn't played it down yet, but I think just the the security blanket he could give him playing the slot there and just, just the fact that he's going to just go over the middle and be that fearless type of player. And Diggs is going to do do what he does. I mean, the guy is a phenomenal athlete, and he would have been a, probably one of the top five wide receivers taken in that draft if he wasn't hurt for a lot of his senior there at Maryland. So I just – I really believe in those two guys. And I, I know Adrian Peterson is, is the man, and he's probably going to, you know, chunkify that new stadium for – 16 to 1800 yards. Uh, but that also makes, makes you uh, keep a, keep that, keep like a nine wide or a lot of guys in the box, especially in the red zone. And I think because Adrian Peterson is there, I think that's going to open up things more there uh, for that offense in, in the red zone. And we can see a lot of little dink and dunks to uh, my guy, Michael Pruitt there. So, uh, Hey, maybe Kyle Rudolph <laughs> surpasses 500 receiving yards. Uh, maybe not, but uh, I think he's got weapons, and I think they're they're underrated. I think that offense is is a little underrated. Yes, they have the the greatest back in the NFL right now, and Adrian Peterson. But uh, that's also the reason I think it's going to open things up there. So, are you ready, Nick? Twenty four touchdowns, twenty three touchdowns. <laughs> uh. We'll settle at 22.5, so that way it's a push. Um, that is all we have for you today. Uh, like I said, next week, Ricky Cobb from the Super 70s podcast. We, uh, I'll have to get some 70s porno music to play. Uh, uh, maybe he can sing a different thing. But anyway, great, uh, great podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to a former NFL player and Ross Tucker, especially for the second time, and nice enough to come back and visit us. So uh, we appreciate that, and I and I mean it. That college draft podcast. If you're if you play Dynasty, because they they already have started filling you in on the 2017 class talking about all those guys position by position. They have great guests every week, former players like Ross talking about the position, and Ernest Spiner talking about running backs. Uh, Booger McFarland came on to talk about uh, defensive tackles and stuff. And the, 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 just the knowledge they give out in their half-hour podcast every, just shocks me every week. I absolutely love that podcast. So but, uh, make, sure you, make sure you check that out. And great, great pleasure there to talk to Ross as well. Um, and if you're Playing the Scott Fishbowl, hopefully we helped you out a little bit there. Hopefully we helped you out with the uh, plant your flag or wash your hands or the dynasty trade analysis. Uh, Nick, any any closing thoughts there? Uh, just that it was neat hearing uh, Ross Tucker bring up the name uh, Dan Big Daddy Wilkinson. Uh, I, back in the <laughs> 90s, I actually had a pet chameleon that I named Big Daddy after Dan Big Daddy Wilkinson. So that was kind of <laughs> neat for me personally. <laughs> was Was he a skin? Was he Redskins? He, he, he was. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, it might have been the yeah. number one overall pick. It was very high. Uh, and then the Redskins uh, traded for him. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember when he mentioned uh, Leroy Glover, we, or Leroy Glover. That was a trivia question we had a couple weeks ago as the last uh, defensive tackle to lead the NFL in sacks there. So, um, yeah, I mean, he also made me think of just, like he said, the massive human beings they are, like, that Sam Adams was. It's just like that guy was 
so big, but uh, um, and I and I love I love the fact that he too, as a former player, was just like his knowledge about. I think I was told, <laughs> and you know when I when I saw you write that question down too, I was just like, well, I I mean obviously, who the hell wants to even deal with Aaron Donald? Um, and at least with Wilfork, there's something to hold on to. I mean, he might be getting past you, but maybe you can just get in his wake and slow him down some bit. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, good luck, uh, NFC West offensive lineman blocking that Aaron Donald guy. <laughs> uh, that's all we have for you today. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. As always, Nick, it's been a pleasure, and we will talk to you next week. That'll be great, Josh. Take care. And the sixth day, create the football player. And fans paid money to watch them hurt. And that was good. On the seventh day, they all played football. Six two stack monster! Six two stack monster! Thank you.